Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Sorry, y'all. Just had to get dialed in there. <laughs> that was awesome. I, I I think we're good today. I'm actually, by the way, at my girlfriend's house in her office, so we should be good. And the, the real test will be Wednesday for that show because I got to throw a shout-out to my man Collins from Spectrum. He actually – we had – he was at my house for like an hour before the Super Bowl started, so I felt bad for him. We finally found the culprit, and I think the internet at the house is fixed as well. So shout out to Collins. He actually played football at Orangeburg Wilkinson, um, played against AJ Green back in the day. So we had uh, we had some good football talk. So shout out Collins. I even Chris actually stayed on the line. You know how they call you after to leave a review for once because my man went above and beyond to find the issue. So okay. we'll have the real test on Wednesday, but I think we're good. I know we're good today. Uh, what's up? It's GC Live. We are, of course, brought to you by our good friends at Mortgage Network and, of course, by Clint Hammond. Uh, give Clint a shout, uh, 803-771-6933, or go to clinthammond.com or mortgagenetwork.com slash clint-hammond. Whether you are a first-time home buyer 
or whether you are a uh, long-term investor, Clint will get you hooked up with these low, low mortgage rates that are going on, going around right now. So never a better time to buy a house and um, never a better time to be Ryan Suckup than yesterday, Chris. Um, finally gets him a Super Bowl championship. I believe this is his 12th season in the league. So he's stuck around. That'll, God, that'll make you feel old, man. Suckup's been in the league for, for over a decade now. Uh, so shout out to Ryan Suckup. Tampa Bay, uh, Kobe Smith also on the practice squad there at Tampa. So uh, once again, a Gamecock, a couple of Gamecocks taking home Super Bowl rings. And I'm happy for those guys, man. I got to say, though, and we're going to get it obviously into Gamecock sports, but got to talk Super Bowl for a second. What a dud of a game, Chris. It was so bad. I, I I kept waiting for, you know, they flashed at one point that statistic for Kansas City of all these like playoff comebacks they had had. And, and I'd actually forgotten about the one um, against the Texans where they were down by like 20 and came back and won by like 24 or whatever it was. I mean, it, three scores on, on both ends. And I kept waiting for it, and it just didn't happen. You know, uh, Tampa Bay, Todd Bowles, they did a tremendous job defensively. There was nowhere to go with the football most times. They had them really covered up. Tampa's defensive line absolutely ate KC for lunch or dinner, I guess. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, Mahomes, it, it was bad. I mean, it, it was really bad. So, for the most part, sort of as it turned out, a non competitive game. So, yeah, definitely a dud, man. I guess your man Collins, even if he had been at your house during the Super Bowl, would not have been that disappointed um, if he, he missed it. Yeah, he uh, out of my house. Yeah, I, dude, I, I'm with you. I, I kept sort of – I thought maybe in the second half, I was like, okay, they'll be able to make some adjustments. They'll be able to get uh, Mahomes settled in. They'll get find some way to give him some time. This was just the classic example of if you can't block him up front, give your quarterback time. Doesn't matter how great he is. Doesn't matter what weapons you have. If you're running for your life, you just don't have a chance. And some of – I don't know if you all saw, and I'll try to effort it, but I have no idea who posted this. But somebody way smarter than me uh, diagrammed every single drop back by both quarterbacks on Twitter, like with a line, like with a line basically. And Tom Brady's was like this. It was just like – one line after – it was like 25 lines that were all just in, in this little tiny box. Patrick Mahomes was like – looks like your kid when they first learn how to draw, but they can't really draw, and it's just lines all over the place. So, um, insane. now I will say this. Some of the throws Mahomes made just to even give a play a chance, like the one that, that iconic throw now – I mean, I don't know if you can call an incomplete pass iconic, but that photo of him – completely perpendicular to the ground, throwing the ball, and he hits the guy in the face mask. Insane. But, you know, as as statistically, as bad as it looks for Mahomes and the Chiefs offense, I mean, you nailed it, dude. It goes down. I mean, they, they had backups playing on the offensive line. Tampa Bay took complete advantage of it and just showed you. It, it kind of reminded me, if, if we're going to remotely – 
put this in a South Carolina, you know, sphere at all here. It reminded me of some of those those teams at South Carolina when the defensive line would just take over, and that that was the case here. And once it got, I would say, maybe mid fourth quarter or so, like I was with you, I was like, okay, maybe they can get it going at some point. But by about mid fourth quarter, I'm like, this is just not happening. This is over. Tampa Bay was able to run the football and uh, you know start eating some clock and. That was that. I, I do we, – we've had in the last decade, we have had some great Super Bowls along the way. Um, but I do hate when, when we have all this buildup and the game itself just does not live up to the hype. And that, that was obviously the case yesterday. Yeah, and I thought probably the expectation going in was just for this to be sort of a quarterback battle, both of them to shine. And Patrick Mahomes didn't really have a chance to do that. He's running for his life. He's already injured with the big toe. Didn't have any receivers open down the field most of the time. His receivers actually, even Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, I mean, they were dropping passes. I mean, that yeah. he was delivering. And so um, it, it just didn't give him much of a chance. And Tony Romo kept saying, you know, I think it was like in the third quarter, he's like, all right, if they're going to make a run, this is the time to do it. And it was like five minutes left in the fourth quarter. All right, they really need to do it now. And they, <laughs> like you said, never did it. And, dude, I, the thing I found myself saying it, during the game at one point was, how bad would this game be if they had like a statue back there playing quarterback for KC? I mean, Patrick Mahomes, it's hard to say he kept them in it because they got, you know, beat pretty soundly. But I mean, some of the throws, some of the escapability he showed, it's like he had eyes in the back of his head. You know, he was making some of these moves that just didn't even make any sense to buy himself some time. Not only the one, the, the sort of parallel to the ground one that you mentioned, Wes, but he made the one throw when he rolled out to the left sideline and chucked the ball to, I mean, the absolute back corner of the end zone to Pringle that he almost hauled in and it would have been a touchdown. And it was just, it was just absurd. Some of the things that he can do. And that's, that was the storyline to me of just, man, that he didn't get much help, but really, really gutted it out and, and just didn't have an answer. Tampa Bay dominant defensively. It started up front, like you said, and then obviously they, they were just really good. They're a well-oiled machine offensively. They could run it. They could throw it. They protected the quarterback. They did everything the right way. Dude, if, if he would have completed that throw you're talking about, because Pringle almost made a – it was a spectacular throw, and then Pringle almost made the catch of the year diving yeah. to you know diving out of the backside of the end zone. Yeah. One-handed. Couldn't quite haul it in, but – in, insane level of athleticism on both sides uh, as far as that goes. But, but yeah, dominance by Tampa Bay's defense. And uh, we, we won't stay on the Super Bowl too long, but I did – I had the game on or the pregame on like in the background all day. And I, I thought Rombo had a really good interview with Tom Brady. And um, he was talking about how just the the average person, no matter how much football we all watch – it's hard to put into words and to explain what it's like to be a quarterback and process all that information while there's just utter chaos going on to your left and your right and in front of you and behind you and, and all over the place. And, um, you know, Brady, I, I think most of us agree, um, you know, I won't even say we most agree he is the all-time best, but he's definitely up there. And he asked him, you know, what what – what, what gets you going? Like, what keeps you going? 
And Brady, his answer wasn't like winning a game, winning a Super Bowl. He said Brady said he is chasing every single time he hits the field the absolute perfect feeling of delivering a football where it comes off his hand perfectly and is a perfect spiral and goes to the perfect spot. So every single time he drops back, it was like somebody chasing a high almost. Like he's chasing that feeling of the ball coming out perfectly. And, you know, he said the announcers or somebody watching may say, well, man, that was a great throw by Brady. And he may be sitting there saying, ah, that wasn't a perfect throw. I hit him in the left shoulder. I was aiming for the right shoulder. So, you know, the, the average person throws a ball of any kind, and we're like, oh, it was in their window of being able to catch it. You're like, that was a good throw on my part. Brady is aiming for like a three-inch window, basically. And he said, you know, even if it's a complete pass, he's sitting there the whole time processing like, ah, I've got to – it was very interesting. I, I got to get my – I got to get my foot down faster. I've got to get my shoulder turn better. He's constantly tweaking his mechanics throughout a game, aiming for that perfect throw. And he said he only hits that perfect throw maybe 10% of the ones that come out of his hand. So it, it was very interesting, intriguing to hear him talk so openly, like sort of work through the mind of – an all-time great at what he does and how differently he processes whether it was a good play or a bad play based on his standards. Um, Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. He's just, he's just maniacally detailed and like obsessed with like, Oh yeah. Obsessive. Yeah. Very obsessive with all the little processes that you, whether it's taking care of his body or eating or, you know, all those different things. It's not just, hey, what's your goal when you get on the field? It's not just I'll go up up and down and score every time. That's not good enough for him, right? And that's, you know, he wants to hit the perfect throw along the way. And, and that's what struck me last night, Wes. So I was sitting there thinking, like, this guy, look, the defense was dominant. The run game was really good. The O-line was really good. They got great receivers. Okay, yeah, lots of teams have that. Um, the guy has not dropped off whatsoever. He's, what, 43 years old. There's there's no reason to sit here and think ah, he he he'll he'll slip next year. People have been saying that for like ten years. <laughs> I mean, I I have no idea. They might wheel a sixty two year old Tom Brady out there, hopefully playing for the Panthers or something one day. <laughs> and you know he, he's been chucking touchdowns somehow. I don't know, but the guy, you know, West were both Panthers fans. Two thousand and four, seventeen years ago, was the Panthers Patriots Super Bowl. 2004, and Tom Brady, I mean, it wasn't a, his rookie year or anything. He'd been playing, and, you know, he, he leads the Patriots heartbreakingly against our Panthers in that game. That was 17 years ago, and he's still – he's back in the Super Bowl, and regardless of what's around him, just the fact that he's still that dominant and is still tossing perfect passes and looks – I mean, it's it's really amazing. So, Well, and I, I, lo- I actually love the fire – when um when he and the honey badger oh, get into it, yeah, I was like, man, th- this is good. And then, dude, Antoine Winfield with the walk off 
peace sign to Tyreek Hill. That that was well played. Um, obviously, Tyreek Hill has dropped the peace sign on quite a few defenders who are slower than him, which is pretty much everybody. So for him to sort of drop that and the, the view they have of his face where Winfield is just grinning, like, man, I got this guy. Like, just yeah. he, like he'd probably been thinking about that for the last two weeks. If I have a chance to drop the peace sign on him. I'm going to peace out as, and it was at the perfect time where you could get a penalty and it didn't matter. Um, right. That, that was pretty good, but all right, let, let's talk some game cops, y'all. That's what the show is for. It is GC live brought to you, of course, by mortgage network. And um, so Chris, the Montario hardesty hire has been in place and then official now actually for a while, but because of the issues I've had, we haven't really had an opportunity to, dive into it and talk about it and and talk about, I would say staff structure. When you hire a running backs coach, it's important. I I think to have a guy that connects with young people to have a guy that's going to be a potentially dynamic recruiter. And, you know, I've been asking around it, you know, and, and Hardesty is still very much on the front end of his career. Right. So, He's coming in from a place like UNC Charlotte where he hasn't had quite that extensive power five experience yet, but is a guy that played the position at a very high level at the SEC level, um, did make it to the NFL, had some injuries that slowed him down, and now is known as sort of one of these young up-and-comers in the coaching community. The, uh, The words that sort of just kept coming up for me, I, I talked to a couple of guys, talked to um, Airden Hayden, who uh, was a Tennessee player back in the day. And, and actually um, his son was recruited, his son Chase was recruited a little bit by South Carolina, Bobby Bentley at running backs. I believe he's at Illinois now. Um, talked to a high school coach in North Carolina, talked to a high school co- coach in South Carolina. We saw Marcus Lattimore's tweet about him. I think everybody saw that. But great dude has come up. Positive, infectious attitude is something that's come up. Very just personable guy. And you're projecting a little bit as far as the recruiting because he hasn't had that opportunity yet to do it on this stage. But when I hear that about the personality, I believe that makes for a good fit for that spot. And I think knowing, you know, we're not going to sugarcoat it. Losing a guy like Des Kitchings, you're losing a lot of ties, a lot of relationships. Uh, you and I have talked about this off air. Des is sort of one of those guys that just knows everybody, and everybody knows him. So being able to step back into North Carolina, somebody that's obviously been coaching at Charlotte for a couple of years, but is a new burn North Carolina native, that's – um sort of east North Carolina over near Havelock and uh, where Farrah Cooper, Corey Robinson, those guys are from. I, I think it was important to have someone that comes in and fits all these uh, characteristics that we're talking about here with Montario Hardesty. Yeah, and, and I think you made a good point there in terms of the projection, right, that this is a young coach. He actually coached receivers at Charlotte last year, you know, but when you talk about skill position coaching, a lot of times you're going to see guys that especially when they play the position at a high level, they understand concepts and techniques and all those things. And for Hardesty, it's not like you're 
asked him to coach something for, and he played running back. He played it at a high level. And so I think you look at like the, the boxes that a guy can check. Um, obviously he played in the SEC at a high level. He played in the NFL. Um, he's got ties to the Carolinas. He's a personable guy. Um, I think all those things that you hit on give you a formula for a good young coach. Now, in terms of, you know, evaluating guys and, and the actual success or not that's forthcoming, again, it's a projection type of thing. But I think you look at all those different things that he brings to the table. Shane Beamer even mentioning that, hey, Montario knows what our guys are going through because he's had several different coaches during his career. You know, mm-hmm. and obviously Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd, all these guys, they're in that position as well. Um, so to have them understand that, to have a guy with SEC background who knows that sort of unique pressure um, and challenges, I think was big. And then, again, like you said, West Carolina's native, going to bring some ties there. I think he'll be a good recruiter for the Gamecocks just because of his, his personality and his background. Really intriguing fit, I think, and, and a good move to hire him to the staff. Losing Kitchings, obviously – Really tough. I mean, we, we've covered that for a lot of reasons. But, again, it's about when you have a defection, who do you bring in? Do you bring in a quality replacement? And I, I do think this is a quality replacement. Yeah, and I think, Chris, uh, first of all, he inherits – I, I think for, for a young coach like, like he is, like we said, it's going to be helpful that he's not – being brought into a position group that's going to need to be flipped instantly. You know, we, we've talked about it. Justin step coming in, um, you know, and step has proved he can, he can build up a position group, but with the best, he's going to have to do that at, at South Carolina. You know, that's a position group that's going to either, you know, via development or recruiting, but really a combination of both. You would say that position group's going to have to get better. And step has been brought in to do that. I think Hardesty comes in, you say, okay, you've got Kevin Harris, you've got Marshawn Lloyd, um, you got Rashad Amos still there as well. Uh, you got Juju McDowell, who is someone that I've been told Hardesty was familiar with and was high on out of high school as well. So you're really sort of coming in, you can hit the ground running, but there's not just this immense pressure to try and turn that position around. And you know, I, I think Des Kitchings had – he had built a foundation with maybe five, six guys who are running backs in this 2022 class where he already had South Carolina in a decent spot. Not that South Carolina was like the complete favorite, you know, top team for all five or six of these guys, but that South Carolina was firmly in the conversation. And the approach was, okay, if South Carolina is – very much in it for five or six of these guys. You feel good about landing, you know, one or two of them, depending on what your numbers end up being. So there is a bit of a foundation, I think, already established both in the room already. Plus, you know, you go out and you you have some guys in the Southeast that are interested in your program. Hardesty, I imagine, will sell his game, you know, what he did at the SEC level and uh, the, the sort of brief but NFL experience. Not everybody can – can claim that either. So he'll, he'll sell those things and, and sort of go from there. I do think uh, before we move on to something else, man, worth mentioning that we've heard now from multiple places and it's been reported, I, I believe football by football scoop is that Tennessee was heavily involved here and Tennessee very interested in getting him 
on their staff, which says something about his uh, reputation right now in the coaching community as an up-and-comer, as a fast-rising type young guy, and very big for South Carolina to be able to come in and land him versus, you know, him him going to Tennessee instead. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's his alma mater, so obviously that's that's something really interesting and you know, we've heard some some different things there about the dynamics of that situation. But obviously, Tennessee, you know, they've got some questions right now, you know. And so, um, it, indeed, a, a nice win for South Carolina to be able to be to, to be a more appealing situation, I think, for Ontario Hardesty to walk into. Um, and, you know, when you when you look at the program, yeah, the wins lately have not come. But the, the stability of the program in terms of not having, say, NCAA cloud hanging over or um, a coach who maybe you don't know as well, or you're not as sure about, um, you know, and having some other ties. I mean, obviously, Monterio Hardesty worked for Will Healy at Charlotte. Will Healy knows Marcus Satterfield very well. They've worked together in the past. And so there's some familiarity and some ties there. And then obviously with South Carolina, they've got a, got a really, really talented running back room as well. So, um, and it's in the Carolinas. So it's not his alma mater, but it's in the Carolinas. It's in the SEC. So, a good fit for both sides. And like you said, Wes, a, a quality addition for South Carolina, particularly in light of, of some of the other interests that he was uh, apparently picking up. No doubt, man. Um, by the way, I just saw your tweet. Uh-oh, we lost Wes. I think the the irony here is fantastic. Wes. Just kidding. That was funny. I was just talking about how ironic that was. You were just about to talk about your my tweet about your internet. Yes, and we we switched sides here, which I'm sure they're going to love us for that. Um, hold on, hang hang tight, real quick. We're going to flip. There we go. Um, it's funny how life works. That one was completely on me, uh, clicking around, closing myself out. But um, I just saw Chris's tweet about. The uh, about me searching for my internet signal with uh, that now, I guess now viral meme of the weekend yeah. during the Super Bowl halftime in the mirror, dude. I got dizzy. I don't know. If, am I just old or was that everybody? I got dizzy watching the weekend and this uh, was that like a county fair style? Um, yeah, like like a mirror room, house mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What dude? The so halftime show. Somebody posted on our board. That's the best halftime show of all time. And I I don't know if they were trolling or it it wasn't the best. It wasn't the worst to me. It was sort of blah. I felt like the the sound mixing of it was awful. Like his voice was coming through very just sort of muted almost. Like it didn't it didn't feel like a real performance it felt sort of like i don't know like you're listening on the radio or something so yeah i I agree with you that's what i thought at the beginning because we were sitting there talking about you know the weekend apparently spent seven million dollars of his own money for the production and things of that nature and obviously like a lot of the visual stuff you're like yeah i can see how this costs a lot but like when he came on when he was first singing i was like i I can't you know (laughs) it was sort of bad sound mixing and so i don't know you know, what the deal was with that. But I don't know, man, there, there were a lot of strong opinions. It was funny getting on social media afterward because there was that mix of 
that was absolutely horrific. That was the worst ever. Or, oh, man, that was so, so good. It was fantastic. You know, I, I was some, somewhere in the middle. I, I was fine with it. I didn't think it was great. Like, for instance, I thought musically, like Bruno Mars, remember when he did it, uh, what was that, a few Super Bowls ago, I thought that was superior. But I'm down with the weekend. We'll have to get Colin Taylor on to get his take. I yeah, think he, he likes the weekend, but you never know because he's so random with things he likes and doesn't like. Yeah, he has some interesting food and musical uh, yeah. opinions. But, yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing, dude. If you're going to do the Super Bowl halftime, you got to be prepared. You're going to be critiqued on every single thing you do. Yeah. Like, I don't know, man. I, I know the guy's a millionaire, very successful, and it all sort of comes with the territory. But couldn't be me, man. Like, I, like you got to have some thick skin to be a celebrity in that position because it, I mean, down to what shoes you're wearing and what, I mean, just people are going to just, and God forbid you slip or like make a mistake or do something stupid. I mean, people, I mean, it's going to be on Twitter like that. You're going to get ripped. Um, Lots of people saying Prince uh, was the best performance. I, that, that was a great performance in the rain as well. Um, all right, let's let's talk a bit about let's go back to the recruiting class and then sort of bring it forward. Maybe um, and I'll I'll give you a heads up here, Chris. Maybe be thinking about maybe you're an instant impact guy or two, and maybe your most underrated guy or two. We'll go to that, but let's let's take it forward. So right now, South Carolina, and there's an article on Gamecock Central right now that Colin posted with quotes from Beamer last week. He's talking about the flexibility in having one more. You have one more spot left. So we've been tracking this entire time. You know, it's been, hey, there's 11 spots left. Hey, there's three spots left. One spot left for 2021 to officially count towards 2021 before you even have to get, you know, into talking about, well, can a guy come in a little bit later? Can he help this year but count forward, et cetera, et cetera. One spot left. Now that you've seen the class, Chris, you've seen the transfers, where does your head go? Let's say perfect world, not necessarily a prospect specifically because we don't know who's going to be available after the spring. But if you could fill that one scholarship with the perfect skill set, we'll say, at, at a particular position, what spot do you feel like you want to bolster with that one spot. And I'll answer real quick. Jay uh, said, uh, are we keeping our last ownership for Charleston Rambo? He has committed to Miami. So no, although I got to say, Jay, he would have been a great pickup, but uh, Chris, where's your head at on that one? So trying to factor in what's on the roster and even sort of what's forthcoming, you know, from this recruiting class, whether it's transfers that are on campus or, or guys getting in later, and so the two spots I thought of, Wes, were the two biggest need spots for me. So receiver and DB, right? Uh, to me, they have the most questions. They're in the need. They have the most need for an immediate impact guy. So, um, But you're trying to get me to narrow it down to one. I probably still go receiver, and that's even with – you know, Amari and Brown transferring in, EJ Jenkins transferring in, both those guys on campus. I think both those guys are going to help a good bit. 
Um, now how good they'll both be, I don't know. But I, I think right now for sitting here projecting, which is all it is, probably they're both playing a lot. Maybe even starting one or both of them. I mean, we just don't know at this point, but I think that's possible. I would still go receiver because you said perfect world situation, right? Mm-hmm. So in perfect world, that means there's some just stud wide receiver for proven guy for whatever reason. He's in the portal. You can bring him in, plug him in. That would be my personal pick. I got you. And see, I'm, I'm down to those final two as well. I I will say, so right now, somebody brought this up to me a couple of weeks ago. If you're South Carolina, and let's just talk about the numbers, class of 2021. Right now, you have Sam Reynolds. You have Omega Blake. You have EJ Jenkins. You have Amarion Brown. And technically, you have Jalen Brooks. Um, five, so five wide receivers counting towards your 2021 class. And right yeah. now you, you've used 24 scholarships. So five of your 24 are already being spent on that one position group. Then if, if we add another one, you're talking about six for that 24 spots. Yeah. So uh, my very quick math tells me that one fourth of your spots will be used on one position group. So, I to to me, it's probably going to depend on how good of an actual player they are. All things being equal, if you could tell me South Carolina could go land an absolute lockdown cornerback like the type guy that is an immediate impact that no brainer starts and sort of just lessens the pressure on some of these other newcomers that are in the secondary, I would probably take that guy in the perfect world. Um, if it was two, if the DB and the receiver were the exact same level of player, I'm going to edge out just a little bit towards DB. Now, if let's say – the wide, the DB is just solid, but the wide receiver is a true number one receiver, like that guy that's that changes the complexion of your offense. Then it's a no brainer for me. I'm going wide receiver. I'm taking the guy, you know, that can come in and make a true impact. But both both of those, you know, perfect world. If you told me they could have a lockdown corner or an impact wide receiver, either one of those things would be a huge addition to this football team. It would. And, and so that was my hesitation on receivers, man, from a number standpoint, not only in the recruiting class, West, but it's not like there's only five receivers on this roster. Like, even you know, so you're really getting into a big time situation where, going, man, you're using a lot of numbers. The only like saving grace from that that I thought of is, hey, maybe, maybe you take a look at moving Omega Blake to defense, right? Maybe. Mm-hmm. And I'm not – that's not in the plans that we know of right now. It's just I've always thought that that's a possibility. So just from a speculation standpoint, you could do that if you felt like you needed more numbers help. Um, Amari and Brown and EJ Jenkins are not, you know, freshmen, right? So right. you're bringing them in and it's it's a little bit different. It's not like you're bringing in six freshmen. You know, your transfer guy would presumably – not be a true freshman, you know. So um, that that was the only thing I thought of. I just thought, you know, corner is and safety. I mean, whatever, wherever you can get a guy, DB, huge need. I just thought 
because receiver was such a need position last year and is such a question mark this year, just edged out just a little bit to me. And, and I see a lot of people playing or a lot of people saying safety, which I get. I, I understand completely. But for me, I'm always at DB. I'm always leaning cornerback. I'm always leaning coverage over safety. And, and I think there's a little bit of maybe lingering feelings about the safety spot that I, I think very important to point out, Chris, that the safeties in Will Muschamp's defense, we've talked about this before, were asked to do a ton. Um, some, some of the inconsistencies in safety play were because those guys – mentally were asked to have such a big role, to have so much thinking, to have so much processing within any given play. I imagine just um, just because this is the first time I've heard of a defense being this complicated for safeties, by default, I would think Clayton White's is going to be a little bit more simple for safeties. I generally think – now, granted – if you can get studs across the board, you want studs across the board. But I think you have a better chance of sort of having a guy just not as athletically talented, but is smart, knows how to play the game, and can just not get you beat. You have a better chance of that guy being able to help at safety, whereas corner, there are certain physical traits that you almost just have to have to be able yep. to play in that position. So positional value much stronger if you have a lockdown corner than even your best safety, in my opinion. Now, perfect world, you'd rather have the lockdown corner than you'd rather have the safety that will knock your head off. And, you know, it's – but but this is not an Alabama defense. You know, this is not – you're trying to – you're trying to build it to where it's ultimately at, you know, a point where you have studs at every spot. But right now we're talking about that one scholarship and the best way to spend it. And, and we'll see. It, it, Chris, it'll be interesting to see what new guys pop up um, after spring practice. Yeah, yeah, it, it will be. It will definitely be uh, very interesting to see. And, you know, Wes, I don't know. I don't think South Carolina is going to force the issue either. You know, it's not just like they're going to peruse the portal and say, all right, guys, you know, if, if that sort of no-brainer, which there's, there's two sides to that, to that story, right? It has to be a guy that you can get, and it has to be a guy that you want out of the portal because for some of these highly coveted portal guys, sometimes they have an idea of the direction that they would like to go once they enter the portal. Or sometimes if they do enter the portal totally open, you know, there's going to be heavy competition recruiting all over again. And so there's two sides to that. But I don't think South Carolina is going to look around and get to some critical point and say, all right, guys, let's just sort of pick the best guy out of the portal just to bring in another guy, you know, um, is there a decent chance they use the spot? Sure. But um, I I think it has to be in the right situation because there's still, you know, there's scholarship considerations all over the place and you want to add a guy that's going to fit in and and can help you. So um, I'll be interested in it. I think the odds are Wes, that it, it would be one of those two spots if they do choose to use one. So we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah. And I think unless, you know, the, the only other scenario that it could be another spot would be if some, and I can't even think of anybody that would, would fit this, 
But if there's just some connection to a guy at another spot that's just like a no-brainer um, player, you know, that's just a an, such an impact guy and maybe is from the area or maybe has a connection to one of the new coaches, you know, just something where just like, oh, sort of that epiphany, like, oh, that guy knows him from back then. And this guy's too, you know, like a stud left tackle or something. That's not a top of the line need, but you could always use a stud left tackle. You know, that's the only way I would really see it being another spot. But as far as efficiency um, and best use of that, I think you're right, man. It's got to be a DB. It's got to be a wide receiver. And I don't even know the rule anymore because it's been so long since South Carolina has been in this situation. If they don't spend it, Chris, which I I assume they're going to find a transfer to spend it on. But if they just stayed at 24, can can you still count back next year? I know South Carolina has been over for so long. I don't even know what the rules are now, but would they be able to count an initial for 2022 early enrollee back to 2021 if it came to that? That that would be that would be the case. Now they're looking at making some changes to, you know, the 25 initial counters to try to lock it in a little bit more as far as like a maximum. We don't know quite yet what those are, what those will be. So that that could change. You know, there could be some new guidance on that, but. That has been, you know, that that was a question a lot this year. Hey, in the 21 class, can South Carolina count any guys back to 20? The answer was no, because they counted some guys in the 20 class forward to 21, which means they had no room. So, mm-hmm. yeah, in theory you can, um, but we, we don't know yet if there will be any changes, you know, to how things operate going forward from a numbers standpoint. All right, a couple questions here. First of all, Nathan – Says we need a guy or a number of guys to step up and really be a vocal leader and motivator this offseason. Wes and Chris, who do you think that could be? Good question, Nathan. I, I think you you lose a guy like that in Ernest Jones. And as good as Ernest was on the field, tackling machine, we all see that. He was equally, or if not even better, as sort of that vocal dude uh, that everybody sort of follows. And you had what you had TJ Brunson before that, and then Ernest sort of took on that role. Um, TJ may be a little more of a lead by example type guy, but still, um, they're they're going to miss that, Chris. I mean, it is you know we've talked about it. Sherrod Green's going to have a lot on his plate this year. Is he really known as being that vocal talking type guy? I, I would say no. Um, is there a returning guy in the defensive backfield that's really that vocal type leader? Not that it immediately comes to mind. Um, I look maybe on the defensive front, a, a Jabari Ellis, a guy who we've seen grow into his role as more of a leader. You know, may, maybe a JJ and Igbare, may, you know, maybe some of these older guys that are on the defensive front on that side. I, I will tell you a maybe a a dark horse for this role and ultimately who I believe will be a leader, but it's hard to do this as a freshman would be Debo Williams because this kid just has the it factor about him works hard. um, And when I say work hard, I don't mean into just 
oh, that guy works hard. He's like one of those above and beyond type of workers that's already been apparent in his time on campus. And, you know, I, I think when you, when you look at Debo, this is a kid just from talking to him a couple times, he's a really good communicator, and that's important uh, as far as leadership. On the other side, Chris, I think there's I think there's several guys on this offensive side that are either already leaders or are working their way into being sort of leaders as far as maybe replacing some leaders who have moved on. Yeah, I, and I think, you know, in some, some form, Wes, they were missing leadership last season, even with some of the older guys on the roster. I think that's something we sort of picked up on that they – an area that South Carolina could do better in. And I think, you know, when, when I think back to like the Steve Spurrier era, the culture changed there when they brought in some of the younger players, right, who were very talented, but were also, once they arrived, were some of the best workers on the team, the tone setters, and that helped get everybody else in line. And I, I think you could, and this has to be the hope for South Carolina, you know, you could see some of those younger guys, even guys like you said, Debo Williams, I mean, he's a freshman, just got to South Carolina, but has already set the tone. But some guys that are coming back, you know, a Luke Doty, obviously, you know, has already been lauded for his leadership abilities. I think he'll continue growing there. Marshawn Lloyd could, you know, be that type of guy. There's some, you know, veteran presences on offense, whether it's Nick Muse or some of the offensive linemen that are upperclassmen, you know, could could certainly help out in that regard. Kevin Harris is always – he's probably going to be more of a quiet guy, but he's a great worker, great kid. So I do think the interesting thing is, Wes, I would agree with you in that there's probably a few more proven commodities on offense in terms of leadership right now. Uh, yeah, our buddy Gamecock Russ also mentioned Nick Muse. That's that's another guy there um, that I, I think is developed into a bit of a leader. And let's talk a little bit more recruiting as far as this, uh, this staff goes and, and sort of um, – excuse me, not the staff, but the class and – Maybe I don't think we have much time to get into 2022, but that's something we can maybe get into coming up um, maybe on Wednesday's show. There's a question about, let's see, the Spring Valley quarterback. And, yes, uh, Quandre Smith did get an offer from South Carolina. Uh, let's see, who asked that? Nathan. But uh, an offer that's more as a defensive back safety um I believe Michigan has offered him uh, possibly in that role as well. But, Chris, uh, this is someone we've heard defensive staff is very high on, that South Carolina likes a lot. Uh, I know you talked to him. There's always going to be that question when you have a high school quarterback, how how open are they to, you know, changing positions? And then there's always going to be that question of what schools are sort of willing to let a guy – maybe play quarterback and what schools are saying, Hey, this guy's a great athlete. We'd love to have him, you know, play receiver or play DB or something like that. So um, what, what's been your early read on uh DQ Smith there at spring Valley, obviously um, South Carolina very high on him as an athlete. Yeah. And there, there is a thought that uh, the discussions from my understanding sort of centered around the potential play and safety and, it's something that he's open to, uh, DQ Smith, but from what he told me right now, you know, obviously with the ways to go, we'll have to see how the options shake out, et cetera. Right now, his preference is to play quarterback just because he said he really likes it. He's worked extremely hard at it. 
Um, and so we'll have to see, Wes. I mean, it could happen to where he has more and more options to play quarterback, and that ends up being a better fit. But he's he's very familiar with the South Carolina program. Uh, he spoke with several members of the staff, Clayton White, Eric Henry, who's going to handle recruiting the Midlands for South Carolina, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but it, it's hard to see – it's hard to, you know, sort of project where this one may go, which direction it may take. We know he likes to play quarterback. We know that more schools right now – seem to project him to the defensive side of the ball, which he also has experience doing that as well. All right, so 2021 class. Chris, let's start with your instant impact. Um, can be a, a guy in the actual – I guess I don't know how we're going to say it – the actual class, the counted class, or a transfer. Um, probably I would imagine going in the direction of transfer in this case, but who is your top instant impact guy for South Carolina? For me, it came down to one of the receivers and EJ Jenkins or Amari and Brown. I went with Brown. Uh, Amari and Brown, the Georgia Tech transfer, slightly edged out right now just because I think he's going to bring that speed factor. I think when you're looking at guys, trying to figure out ways to manufacture getting guys with speed um, and, and his type of electric playmaking ability, the ball in his hands. I think that one makes sense. Um, he's a guy who can take the top off of the defense. You can, you can maybe use him in jet sweeps, things like that. So that's why I picked Brown. I think he'll give a, a dose of athleticism to this wide receiver room uh, right off the bat. Yeah, and I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna give another guy because Brown was gonna be mine as well. And you know, I, I think that the way I look at these two guys, Chris, if um, and by the way. I don't know if y'all watched the little videos they had with the the new guys who are already on campus. Brown just sounded like a seasoned adult talking. You know, like he he didn't sound – I mean, obviously he's been in college for a couple years now, but definitely didn't sound like a high school kid and really sounded like a professional talking on there. Um, EJ Jenkins, hilarious, like low-key hilarious – the guy, his favorite food, I, I've never heard this before. His favorite food is cream of wheat. I didn't, I've, I obviously know, I guess some people eat it because it's still sold. I've never in my life heard someone say it's their favorite food. Um, but EJ Jenkins, <laughs> just, and by the way, what do we keep hearing about him, Chris? We keep hearing, man, this guy's massive. Just yeah. him talking on screen, you can just tell. Like, this is a big dude. So, the way I sort of tried to, I guess, qualify how I think they'll make an impact, for me, Chris, Brown is the more sure thing. Like, I'm, like if, I, if I was having to take a bet, like, like we're talking about right now, who would definitely impact this team next year? Brown, I feel like there's – like a 95% chance he's the starter in the slot. And I think he'll be in that Shy Smith type role. Whereas Jenkins, it's more the the floor is a little bit lower. Like if you told me it, it's taken him a little bit more time to find his place, to find his role, that would make sense to me. But if you also told me that he came in and just took over and was like the number one guy and his athleticism and size just took over. 
I would believe that as well. You know, I, I feel like Brown's like the more sure bet, but Jenkins is the one that could just blow up, basically. And I would be most curious to see – I think we know exactly how they would use Brown. Jenkins, is this guy just a true wide receiver? You just line him up outside every time and say, go make plays? Or at, after he spends another – you know – what six months in this college uh, or this FBS strength program? Does he start adding more and more weight, and he starts saying, "Man, this guy's more of like a, a, you know, like a guy you want to use like a Kyle Pitts, just move him around, and he's almost like a hybrid tight end type guy." Um, to me, those will be some fun qu- questions to see answered. Yeah, and that, he does have a lot of you know intrigue behind him because of that size. I mean, you don't see six, seven, six, eight receivers out there a lot that have you know the type of movement ability that he does. And the, the early returns, just in terms of his attitude and um, you know the type of worker that he is at South Carolina, have definitely been good. But that, that's why I, I mean I totally agree with you. I think Brown's a little bit more of a sure thing, and, and not to say look by saying that. We don't need those people that say when we we think a guy could be a good player, that doesn't mean we're saying he'll be a first round pick or or whatever it may be. Um, but Brown has he's done it at a little bit of a higher level. Um, he had a really really good freshman year at Georgia Tech. He's got speed. He sort of fits, you know, some of what South Carolina is going to be missing with Shy Smith. Now, obviously, they need guys all over in a variety of roles, outside slot, wherever it may be. But I think I think Brown's athleticism and his speed going to give him a little bit more of a chance to make a quicker impact, but it would not surprise me at all if EJ Jenkins is, you know, a guy that steps up by the end of the year or earlier. Yeah. So again, Brown was going to be my pick. <sighs> Instant impact and see, I really, I really like Debo Williams as well, but I just, I don't know what the fair expectations are for him to play right away. You know, like, because he, he is a veteran, but, or he's, he's, excuse me, he is a transfer, but he's not a veteran. He hasn't played college ball. So I, I think we do have to remember he's, he is still a freshman. Yep. So I, I don't, I don't think I can put him as my instant impact. Um, again, so I, I'll say Brown as well, but the other sort of maybe underrated, but could make an impact guy would maybe be if you go to the other side, like a Jordan Strong. I, I think. A, a pass rush guy, even if it's more of like a pass rush specialist type role early on, that, that's something South Carolina could still use. And, so, you know, especially third down passing situations, this guy is going to find a way to be on the field, I, I think. So so that's maybe my, my asterisk there. I'll, I'll throw him in as well. All right, so most underrated guy in the class, Chris, who is yours? This was actually an easy pick for me, believe it or not. Um, it's actually the lowest-ranked guy in the class, and that is Isaiah Norris, junior college defensive back uh, from my alma mater, T.O. Hannah. That's not why I picked him, but um, mm-hmm. attended attended Georgia military, spent a season at New Mexico military before that. And I was actually – the reason this was an easy pick for me, Wes, I was going back over some material, some older material today, and came across – a talk that I had with Rob Manchester, who was defensive coordinator at Georgia military. So obviously that school's produced a ton of talent, man. They've gone on to the SEC, other leagues, the NFL, 
this guy knows good players when he's seen them, and he he raved about Isaiah Norris and how good he was. Said the only things he's you know not a super big kid right in terms of size or frame, um, but he he raved about him. He said he's really good. Um, he works extremely hard. He wants to knock your head off when he hits you. He can cover. Um, he also went back to what Jeff Heron, the former head coach at T.O. Hanna, who's been man super successful, turned around Hanna was at Camden County. Uh, was it Prince Avenue Christian? I think it was before that one state championships, both of those schools in Georgia. And Jeff Heron said that Isaiah was one of the best guys he'd had ever. And so th- those to me, you know, were impactful. And so I think Isaiah could, could potentially make an impact on the team this year, but I just look at his rating, you know, as, as a, as a lower, you know, two-star guy and think that he'll have a really good chance to outplay that. All right, what direction am I going here? Um, I'm going to give two guys again. I don't care. I Just because I I, I want to mention I, – I am I want to mention Debo as one of them. So I, I am yeah. very high on Debo. And, God, I think you look at the film and you're just like, how is this guy – like, what am I missing? How was he not more highly recruited? So I'll, I'll say I'll give one for the transfers and one for for the actual signees. How about that? So Debo Williams, that's my easy answer for the transfers. For high school guys, for me, it kind of came down to Nick Barrett or Juju McDowell. Um, I go back to some things we heard maybe a few months ago as far as the the guys they definitely did not you know, want to lose from this class and some guys that the, the old staff was incredibly high on. Nick Baird is someone that fits a mold that we don't really see South Carolina have much of right now at, at defensive tackle and that he is a bigger kid, can play some true, like sort of one technique um, type stuff at defensive tackle. But for me, Juju McDowell is the guy who comes into a position group that doesn't necessarily have a huge need, but provides a little different skill set. And I think McDowell can help on special teams, which, uh, you know, is something where there is no sort of true proven kickoff returner on this roster right now. So I look at McDowell, explosive kid, uh, touchdown machine. Um, Des Kitchings was very high on him. As I said, Hardesty, um, high on him as well, I believe, from what I've heard. So I I think he's a guy that that fits the mold. And and maybe, you know, Beamer even said – during the first signing day, he said, you know, expect McDowell to have a chance to, to play early. So so that sort of stood out to me about him. Yeah, I, I like McDowell a lot too, man. I mean, just played for a really good Lee County team, but like you said, touchdown machine and can do a variety of things with the ball in his hands. Can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can, you know, do some things with him in space. He can run the football between the tackles because he's built powerfully. Um special teams, whether it's actually having the ball in his hands or going down and, and being a gunner, Wes, a guy that can go play on special teams. I think he has the athleticism and the mentality to do that. This is a tough kid. He's got a defensive background. So I think there's a there's a lot to like about uh, McDowell as well and certainly would not be surprised if he sort of outplayed that ranking. He was a guy that Des Kitchings liked a lot. I think that was sort of in his wheelhouse. Des Kitchings is one of his sort of, you know, one of his guys that he's picked plucked over the years that's sort of been a little bit underrated and has gone on to be a really good player. Uh, Lake Morris uh, points out that uh, 
your boy Norris was also a machine in the return game at T.L. Hanna. So there'll, there'll be some options there, and I, I believe there will be some uh, some competition because some of those spots are completely wide open on special teams. So, all right, we're pushing up against the hour mark, so I think that's going to do it for today. Um, y'all, uh, y'all hit us up on Twitter. He is uh, GC Chris Clark. I'm Wes Mitchell GC, and let us know who you want to see as guests because. Obviously, we're actually into the offseason now, and we're going to need some guests for sure to sort of push us across. So uh, appreciate y'all joining. Uh, shout out to the the degenerates there on the chat. Uh, shout out to our Gamecock Central subscribers, readers, watchers, listeners, and everybody for Chris Clark. I am Wes Mitchell. We'll see you on Wednesday. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.